So nice to see everybody. Night three. We've talked about end times. We've gone to the Bible, compared the signs that Jesus told us about what to look for at end times. And then Tuesday night, I talked about, can you trust the Bible? And I laid out the predictive prophecies in Daniel 2. It showed the Lord predicted the future before it happened, which reinforces and proves that the Bible is true and can be trusted. And if we can trust the Bible, we can trust the whole Bible. So the rest of the seminar is going to build on that foundation, that trust in the Bible, that foundational trust that we have in the Word of God. So tonight we're going to talk about the war behind all wars. Before we start any study of Scripture, we should open with a word of prayer. Dear Father in heaven, Lord, thank you so much for this glorious day. Thank you for all the blessings you've given us. Lord, we lift you up on high and we thank you for everything you've done. Lord, we especially ask for prayers of mercy for our brothers and sisters in the southeastern part of the country as they face this terrible hurricane. We lift them up in our prayers. We ask you to guard them and protect them. Lord, we also ask for a special dose of your Holy Spirit. Send your holy angels to be with us tonight as we unfold your truths, as we learn about the root of the wars behind all wars, if we find out the cause of all the pain and suffering and also how we can stay true to you and avoid eternal destruction. Lord, we ask you this in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. The war behind all wars. Who knows when World War II started? When did World War II start? Anybody? 41? Good, good guess. No. Officially, World War II started on September 1st, 1939. Germany invaded Poland. Britain and France declared war on Germany two days later. And in fact, here's a little trivia question that not most Americans know. Canada entered the World, the world War II a week later. So they were in the war two years before us. The United States entered in 1941, December 7th. Remember when Japan, the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor? We're all familiar with what happened. Japanese warplanes left more than 2,400 American servicemen and civilians dead. They destroyed or badly damaged 350 airplanes and 18 of our naval ships. The American Navy was so severely crippled that their sole strategy after the attack was to play hide-and-seek. The ships that they could get out of the harbor, they just ran around in the ocean to try to stay away from the Japanese because they didn't want to take any more crippling blows to their navy. More than 1,100 died on one battleship when it went down in the harbor. But what's interesting is that what could have happened could, be entire, could have been entirely different. It didn't have to happen this way. Two soldiers were on duty that morning at a mobile radar unit. Now, at this time, radar was, bur- was brand new. So it was nothing like we have now, but it was still in a tremendous te- technological breakthrough for the time. So they were on this radar, mobile radar unit on the island of Oahu. And some of them, one of them saw something coming on the radar. And they believe it could be warplanes. So they contacted their superiors. Said, hey, we see this blip on the radar. Something's on the screen. Superior said, they're probably American warplanes just out for practice run. It wasn't long and that blip disappeared. That's because they got close to land and couldn't pick them up from the ground clutter. So then the two soldiers went off to breakfast. Eight minutes later, at 7.53 a.m., 
the first bombs fell on Pearl Harbor. And the carnage began. For almost an hour before, there was irrefutable, clear evidence of what was about to take place. They had been given warning. They had been given a peek into the future so they, they could have prepared. They couldn't have stopped the planes from coming, but they could have prepared. How many have ever gone swimming in an ocean? A couple. You know some parts of the ocean are treacherous, but they don't look that way, right? They look quiet and calm, but there's undercurrents. You look at that sea and it looks calm and inviting. But beneath it, it could be this strong undercurrent, danger, treacherous waters. Think about the conditions in our own Lake Michigan. It's been a horrible summer with drownings because people don't see the warning signs or they don't take heed. You can't see the danger, but I promise you the danger is there. It's like a warning light on the dashboard of your car. When that light goes on, you can't see your engine, right? But the light tells you there's something wrong. And you know you at that time, you need to get it checked out. Because if you don't, you could be in a world of trouble. Behind the scenes, there's danger or difficulty lingering. It's hovering there. Friends, I'm here to tell you tonight, there are warning lights flashing in the book of Revelation. These warning lights are letting us know that behind the scenes, there's danger. Terrible danger. Treacherous warnings. The book of Revelation describes an ominous power that will come and bring spiritual distress to the planet Earth. We also see about the Battle of Armageddon. We see the seven last plagues that are going to fall on the earth. And I promise you we're going to discuss all these as we go throughout this seminar. So what's really going on behind the scenes? Friends, you do not want to go blissfully on your business when there's a squadron of attack planes bearing down on you. Think about this picture. How common is that today? Like zombies walking around. Think she's paying attention to what's going on? She doesn't have a clue what's going on, does she? And that's how we are right now. That's how the world is right now spiritually. We have this book of Revelation screaming warning signs at us. The radar's blaring. There's trouble ahead. And the world's doing this. She's deceived and distracted. And it's going to be a key theme. So in the beginning, and I talked about this Tuesday night, God created a perfect world. And he populated it with two perfect people. No sin. No death, no disease, no suffering, no pain, no debt. I can hear amen. No depression, no divorce, no deception. Remember what I said God's ideal plan was? Perfect God, perfect world, perfect people. That was his plan. That was always his plan. All was well in paradise for about three chapters of the Bible. But then sin came. And it originated in the most unlikely of all places. Most people think that sin originated in Eden, right? Adam and Eve sinned. 
I'm going to tell you, the Bible says that long ago, sin did not start in Eden. The Bible tells us there was a war in heaven. How many of you have ever heard about a war in heaven? See some hands? It's okay if you haven't, because you're going to tonight. So understanding how all this happened will help us to come to grips to why there's so much death, why there's so much pain, why there's so much sorrow, why there's so much sadness in the world today. This is going to tell us. We're going to get to the root of why that stuff is happening. It will also help us understand the most important prophecies of the Bible. I know most of us have never been caught in the heat of battle. I'm sure some of you have if you've you've been in the war. But most of us haven't. But this battle, this war in heaven, has now spread to earth. And it's impacting every one of us. Every one of you are involved in this war. It is a personal war. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 12. Page 1182 in your pew Bibles. We're going to start Revelation chapter 12. Verse 7. Revelation 12. I'm going to read verses 7 through 9. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old, who called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. So who caused the war? Who started the war in heaven? The devil, right? The devil. So why was there a war in heaven? What caused a war in heaven? This is heaven. It's perfect, right? Perfect. How can we get a war in heaven? And what does an angel have to do to get kicked out of heaven? What happened to Lucifer that made him go so bad? Well, let's find out what the Bible tells us. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 14, page 667. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the congregation, on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. What's the common theme in that three-verse passage. I. It has often been said that Satan or Lucifer had an I problem. You heard the passage, I, 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 me, me, me. And we're going to find as we go through this seminar that this is the root of sin. Self, me, I. As incredible as it may sound, an angel in heaven Decided he didn't like his lot in life. He wanted to sit in God's place. The one we call Satan was actually created by God. As a beautiful angel. A privileged angel. An angel of position. 
The word of God actually describes him as a covering cherub who dwelled in the presence of God. He was not only beautiful, he was perfect. And was evidently also very musical. The scripture tells us about his timbrels, which are his voice. The name Lucifer means light bearer. This is a glorious name, a glorious title. He's the light bearer. He bared God's light. The reason this impacts us today is because if we look at the book of Revelation, we're going to discover the key issue confronting human beings all the way down to the end of time. The one issue. Turn me back to Revelation, this time in chapter 13. Page 1183. We're going to start in verse 1. Revelation 13. I'm going to start in verse 1. Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his head a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. Notice what that verse says. Notice the next verse. The first sentence in the next verse. So they worshipped the dragon. So they worshipped. Speaking of virtually everybody on the planet. Remember it says the whole world's going to marvel after this beast. So they worshipped the dragon who gave authority to this beast. And they worshipped the beast saying, who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? So late in earth's history, Remember, we talked about end times right now. Late in earth's history, the key spiritual issue will focus around worship. This is the key battleground, worship. Satan will seek the worship of the world. He wanted worship in heaven. Remember, I want to be like the most high. I want to be you. Basically, he wanted to be God. He desired to be worshiped in heaven. But not able to accomplish that, what he wanted, he now has set his sights on this world. Paul called Satan the prince of the power of the air. Jesus told Peter, Satan has a desire to have you. Satan desires to have every one of us. Remember out in the wilderness when Satan claimed the kingdoms of the world as his own and everything in them as his very own? Satan could not gain worship in heaven. So he came down here to earth and tried to gain control of this world. Tried to deceive, tried to garner worship from God's people. Let me ask you this. Does it look like he's having any success? Yeah? No? Absolutely, right? Remember night one? Friends, there's no question. In which direction is the world heading? Let's be honest. Which direction is the world heading? 
it's not only trending downward, it's plummeting downwards and it's gathering steam. Remember in night one, we talked about the current state of the world and its decline? Turn with me to page 960, Matthew chapter 24. Matthew 24, verse 12, page 960. And because lawlessness will abound and the love of many will go grow cold. Think about our social interactions today. Think about how we relate to each other. How is it? Not very good, is it? No. Everybody's mad at everybody. They're running each other off the roads. They're shooting people. I mean, I'm not here to beat that in the ground, but let's be honest. Jesus told us this was going to be the end, right? Has the love of many grown cold? Absolutely. What we commonly see in the media today, we would never have seen a gen- one generation ago. Think about television. Think about television. Brother Ben and I were just talking before the session about language, because I was talking about language up here. The words we hear in everyday language today, you would have never uttered 30, 40, 50 years ago. Now what's on our TV screen? People used to say, and I remember this, hey, the award show's coming on. This guy's really funny. Now you say the award show's coming on and this guy's really shocking. Or is that woman going to have any clothes on? Really, think about it. We can laugh, but it's, it's true. The world is now humanistic and sec- secular, and it's skeptical and full of doubt. More people than ever are living without a reference to God. No God in their life. No reference to the creator that created them. Today you'll hear many people say, well, I'm a spiritual person, but I'm not a committed Christian. How does that work? Well, we're going to talk about that in a night too. And somebody asked a question about spiritualism. It's all going to come together. Or is what we see all part of a master plan, created by a master planner who wants to receive worship of the world? Could it be that all these things coming together are the part of a fallen being, deceptive, smart, cunning, and dangerous? Is it a coincidence that church attendance is down and skepticism is up? Just as I described earlier, Pearl Harbor, look at the radar screen, and I promise you, you see a blip. It's not only a blip, it's a blob. And it's coming straight at you. And and we had better know it's there before it's too late. Friends, I promise you, there's something going on behind the scenes. In Revelation, the Bible says that a beast emerges. And it's given power by the dragon. The dragon in the Bible is Satan. So in Revelation... Satan's going to work through this beast. He's going to use a third party. And I promise you I'm going to identify that beast later. He's going to work through this beast so he can receive the worship of people like you and me. He's not going to come at you one-on-one. He's going to come at you through other people, other means, that television, whatever, whatever works. He wants worship. And he doesn't want you worshiping God. Friends, I want you to notice there's a progression here. 
in heaven. Lucifer wanted worship, but he wasn't successful. Other than deceiving a third of the angels. But he didn't gain the position he wanted, did he? No. So then he came down here to earth, and he led Adam and Eve into sin. And then later he came to this world to lead everybody else into sin. Notice the step-by-step progression. Let's talk about Jesus' baptism. Following his baptism, remember, Jesus went off in the wilderness to fast and pray and to get ready for his earthly ministry. He went out there to get closer to his father, to get ready for battle. Because he knew he only had a short time. He went six weeks without food. And I'm sure, I have no doubt he was hungry. Probably gone six days without food. Some of us, six hours. Then the devil came to him in the wilderness and said, If you are the Son of God, why don't you command these stones that they be turned into bread? Now, at this point, was this a real temptation? <laughs> you haven't eaten in six weeks? Absolutely. You know how we feel when we miss one meal. I know how I feel. And here's the devil saying, look at all these stones. Just turn them into bread. You're the son of God. You can do it. I wonder at that moment if Jesus could smell the bread his mother used to bake when he was a child. There are few things as good as the smell of baking bread. Amen? I love bread. But there's two important things to note here. Number one, Jesus was being tempted to use his miracle-making power to benefit himself. Remember that. He wasn't being tempted to do good for others. He was being tempted to do selfish things with his power, to feed his hunger. And further, Satan was tempting him to doubt his father. Remember what he said. At at his baptism, remember, his father said, You are my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. But here's Satan saying, If you are the son of God, if. He was tempting Jesus to doubt what his father had just told him. Jesus knew he was the son of God, and the father had anointed him, had confirmed it. And here's Satan, well, if you really are, Turn me to Matthew chapter 4, page 937. Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. Here's Jesus' response. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So Jesus gave us an example. Everything Jesus says and does is an example, amen? Everything. So here he gives us an example. Notice what he did, his first response. He appealed to the word of God. He went to the scripture. He says, it is written. And in that, he was triumphant over that temptation. He saw victory over that temptation. So Satan went away, right? No. Next he took Jesus up to a high place and said, throw yourself down. 
Because I know it says in the 91st Psalm that the angels will catch you before you dash your foot against a stone. Now, here's a little tidbit for you. You think Satan knows Scripture? He knows Scripture better than everybody in here. Satan says, God will come to your aid if you throw yourself down. Just throw yourself down. God will save you. What did Jesus respond with? Thou shall not tempt the Lord thy God. Scripture. The promises of the Lord. So Satan tried again. Jesus, he said, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world on one condition. If you bow down and worship me. Remember that worship thing I was talking about earlier? Worship me. Satan finally cuts to the chase in this exchange. He wants worship. He wants worship. He reveals his true goal. Worship. It's all he hungers. Jesus answered again, said, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And we know the story. Satan was turned back, defeated. Jesus was victorious. Friends, this exchange illustrates clearly what motivates the devil. He's after the worship of the world. You're saying, oh, this is scary, Dan. But I promise you, be encouraged by this. You and I can defeat the devil the same way Jesus did. Friends, we're tempted every day. When temptation comes, do exactly what Jesus did. Meet it with the word of God. Friends, I promise you, no matter how strong you think you are, how smart you think you are, we are no match for Satan. We cannot overcome his lies. We cannot overcome his deceptions. Without the power of God. Satan is the master of all deceptions. The father of all lies, scripture says. And he knows your weaknesses better than you do. And this is a key concept. He knows your weaknesses better than you and I know our own. Better than we know ourselves. Think about temptation. If you have a problem with alcohol, you try to stay away from alcohol, right? Or you try to. That's temptation. Now, if you don't have a problem with alcohol, you think Satan's going to put alcohol in front of your path? It's not a temptation for you. But maybe drugs are. Or maybe pornography is. Or maybe money is. Or whatever. Satan knows that. And he will tailor that deception to you. Friends, I want you to think about this statement. The weakest trembling sinner armed with the promises of God is in a position far greater strength than all the powers of hell. I'm going to give you a little math lesson. Like, oh, Dan, no, not, not math. I'll give you a little equation. You plus Jesus equals victory over Satan. Every time. As the Bible says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, Greater is he that is in you than that is in the world. Jesus is telling us, take me into your heart. Count me, get me on your team. 
Open that door. Remember night one I said knocking, Jesus is knocking at that door? Open that door and you can conquer all. A jealous devil even tried to get Jesus himself to work. Think about where we stand. If he can try to tempt Jesus himself, how do we stand? Let's talk about Lucifer a little bit. Let's go to Ezekiel chapter 28. Page 830. Start at verse 14. You are the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You are on the holy mountain of God. So this is Ezekiel telling us who Lucifer was. He was on the holy mountain of God. God established him. God placed him in his position. And this was a highly esteemed position. A cherub is like a covering angel, placed in a position of premier eminence by God. Think about the symbolism of the Ark of the Covenant with those two angels. That's a covering cherub. That's a symbol of the covering cherub. Scripture continues. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stone. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. So what condition was Lucifer in when he was created? Perfect. He was perfect. Verse 16. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within, and you sinned. So, was Satan up in heaven selling stuff? It had this trading stuff going on, right? No, it wasn't peddling goods in heaven. This is translated, what he was running was a whispering campaign, a gossip campaign. He was whispering between the other angels. He was running a whisper campaign against God himself, the king of kings. And the accusations were, God is arbitrary. He's a dictator. You can't keep his law. We don't even need to keep his law because we're perfect. That was the whisper campaign. Scripture continues. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they might gaze at you. So, Lucifer was glorious. We're told he was the most beautiful angel next to Jesus. He had an important position in heaven. He was like God's chosen angel. And he traded everything. He had it all. But not in his mind. He traded everything for something he had no claim to. He wanted what he could not have. Here's a question. Did God create the devil? As people think it, no, I I think I know the answer, but it's no. No. God created a perfect angel named Lucifer. Perfect in every respect. Lucifer chose to be the devil. 
He chose his path. He chose to rebel against God. How many times have you heard people say, why did God create the devil? I just gave you the answer. He didn't. He chose to be the devil. Satan was filled with self-interest, self-centeredness. He loved himself more than he loved God. He wanted to elevate himself above all others and receive worship. And as a result of his sin and the human family's participation in that sin, we now live in a world filled with crime and violence, sin, misery. Tornadoes tear through towns and trailer parks. That's Satan's doing. A child is born HIV positive. Or a tsunami sweeps through a village and leaves death behind and people crying. And people say, where was your God? Couldn't God have prevented that? Friends, God gets blamed for what the devil causes. How many of you have heard the term act of God? Look in your insurance policy. Act of God. That's Satan deceiving. Those aren't acts of God. Those are acts of Satan, of a fallen world. But he's convinced the world to put the blame on God, just like he started in heaven. That's how the war started. God did it. Satan has deceived the whole world into blaming God. It's the same campaign he waged in heaven he's brought here. Remember when I talked about Steve Jobs the other night? When Steve Jobs was 13 years old, he brought a magazine to his church to talk to his pastor. On the front cover was a picture of starving children in Biafra, what we call today Nigeria. And he said to the pastor, Pastor, does God know this stuff before it happens? The pastor said, yes, he knows. Steve Jobs says, did he know about this? And then he showed the pastor the picture. And the pastor said, Steve, I know it's hard to understand. I know. But yes, God knows all about that. Steve Jobs said, I don't want to worship God who would allow these things to happen. But wait. Is it God's fault? What did I just... Whose fault is it? Satan had deceived Steve Jobs into blaming God for something Satan had done himself. There's a story in the Bible about a man that had a field of wheat. And somebody came and planted weeds in his field. This could have caused this man to fall into financial ruin. Could have ruined his life financially. Somebody asked him, who did this? The man said, an enemy has done this. Friends, Satan has been very effective at blaming God for Satan's own sin, for Satan's own crimes against God. And his attacks on God's people. Look around. Emergency rooms are filling up because an enemy has done this. People are dying prematurely because an enemy has done this. A drunk driver runs a red light and innocent people die because an enemy has done this. Was any of this God's doing? No. Friends, an enemy has done this. God is love. 
He wants people to be saved. He wants us to be well. So I know the next question. Why does he allow this suffering? Why does he allow it? (laughs) I can see a look on your face, brother. Let's figure this out. So when Lucifer started rebelling against God in heaven, what options did God have? Could God have destroyed Lucifer on the spot? Sure he could. He's God. What did he then justify? Uh, now here's a trick question. I see some of them. He's God. Sure he would have been. The wages of sin are death. Rebellion. He broke the law. He could have killed him. Right? But what if he had? Imagine being in heaven. And an angel shows up and says, Hey, you'll never believe this. Lucifer says God's unfair. His law is not fair. You can't keep it. He's keeping this from you. Lucifer, Lucifer's telling people this. Friends, it's that whisper campaign I was talking about. And one third of the angels fell for it. Now imagine another angel arriving to this conversation. He says, hey, guess what happened? God just killed Lucifer. Dead. Laid him out. What do you think their reaction is going to be? That angel is going to say, Lucifer said God is unfair. And God killed him. What's he hiding? Imagine what that would have done to heaven if God had wiped out Lucifer. What would have been the reaction in heaven to the destruction of Lucifer without any explanation? Just dead. Now, this is the right-hand man of God, right? Highest position. God's main man. Now he's dead. Maybe Lucifer was on to something here. Some would follow God out of fear. Oh, I don't want that to happen to me. Others would question whether Lucifer actually was telling the truth. Hey, maybe he was on to something. Friends, the key in this situation is free will. Freedom of choice. The Lord had given his angels freedom of choice. Free will. He took a risk when he did that. Because there was always the chance that they might use that freedom of choice unwisely. And that's exactly what Lucifer did. He used his free will selfishly to serve himself. Friends, God took the same risk when he created you and I. When he created humans, he took a risk and gave us all free will, freedom of choice. In fact, this was the greatest risk of all time. The greatest risk taken in all of history. Freedom to worship God. Freedom to not. Freedom to obey him. Freedom to not obey him. Freedom of choice. It worked perfectly well to begin with. Turn me to Joshua chapter 24, page 226. Joshua chapter 24, verse 15.
And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Choose for yourself who, this day who you will serve. Notice the scripture doesn't say, you must follow me. It says that nowhere in scripture. It doesn't say, you have to follow me. It says, choose. The word choose is used on purpose. It's free will. It's a very important concept that's very misunderstood. As I mentioned earlier, Adam and Eve, blissfully happy in the Garden of Eden. And then the devil came along. And when they were tempted, they exercised their freedom of choice, their free will in an irresponsible way. Let me ask you this. Should God have not even given the human family freedom of choice, free will? It'd be the easy solution, wouldn't it? Okay, you guys screwed this up. Why would God take that risk? In this society, you have the choice to learn to fly a plane if you want to do that. But the expectation is that you won't fly it into a building. You're free to get a driver's license. But we expect you to drive responsibly. God gave Adam and Eve freedom of choice. But when they were tempted by the devil, they used their freedom in a selfish way. Satan lied to them. He said, God knows that when you eat this fruit, you will be like God's. Is that what God told them? No. He said, don't eat of it. It's all he said. The devil says, God's holding back something from you. There's some special stuff in that fruit, in that food. He's not telling you about it. They bought the lie and ate the food. And today the battle rages on. Turn me to Genesis chapter 3, page 3. Genesis, Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. They used their free will, and they disobeyed God's instruction. That's how sin entered this world. Friends, there's only two choices. Two. Follow God, or you follow Satan. There's no middle ground. There's no neutral ground. You can't sit on the fence. Well, I'll make up my mind later. If you choose not to follow God, you're already on Satan's team. He's counting you on his side. Romans chapter 5. Paul reiterates how sin entered the world. Therefore, just as though one man, just as through one man, sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sin. Paul's telling us how sin came into the world through one man. Sin entered the world because of Adam's choice to disobey God. He chose to. Satan didn't force him. He lied to him. Adam was face to face with God. He knew his instruction, right? There wasn't no middleman. There wasn't no email. There wasn't no confusion. God told him face to face. Don't eat of that tree. 
And God gets blamed for the sin. In fact, when God questioned him, Adam blamed God by saying, the woman you gave me. Not only did Adam sin, he broke God's instructions, then he blames God. You did it, you gave her to me. Wait a minute. Adam blamed God for his own free will choice. So why didn't God stop Adam and Eve from using their freedom of choice how they wanted to? Could he have prevented this from happening? Absolutely he could have. To remove their freedom of choice, though, would have made them robots, slaves. How would appropriate would that have been? God had warned Adam and Eve to stay surrendered to him, stay committed to me. He warned them of all the danger. He did all he could while still retaining his original plan of love, not fear. He wanted them to follow them, him because they loved him, not because they were afraid of him. What about all the sin and suffering that's happened since then? Remember this. No one has suffered more than God himself. No one. Friends, this sin cost God the life of his son. God looked down through the years and knew that if he was going to create human beings, they would never be happy without freedom of choice, without free will. Is God responsible for pain and evil? Turn me to Matthew chapter 13, page 948. Matthew chapter 13, verse 24. Another parable he put forth to them saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. Tares are weeds. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have to... Who are they accusing? They're accusing the owner. Didn't you plant good seed? What are you doing? Sound familiar? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. An enemy has done this. enemy. And all those sin has damaged the world and caused suffering and sadness. We are still free to use our free will, our choice to honor and serve God if we wish, and to receive everlasting life. We're free to do that if we want. In fact, sin itself is a result of the squandering of the gift of choice that God gave us in the first place. And this should show us how important it is to be connected to God, to stay connected to God. By disconnecting from God, this is what happened to Adam and Eve and all of humanity downstream. Because they disconnected themselves from God for that split second. They trusted self over the Lord. Friends, what we've got today in this world are people with freedom of choice who have not surrendered that choice to God. 
They choose self and they forego the promises of God. God pleads with us to surrender to him, to submit to him. He begs us to allow him to bear our iniquities. But here's the key. He never will force himself on you. Never. In God is light. It's a lot like saying if you plug in a lamp and turn on the light, you get light. That's what it's like to be connected to God. But when you pull that plug, the light stops shining. And that's not God's fault. Turn me to Isaiah chapter 59, page 716. Isaiah chapter 59, verse 2. But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. Friends, what sin does is it separates us from God. And God is the source of life. Satan is smart. He knew if we turned from God, if we sin, we're lost. He knows that. And then we're in the same situation he's in. Did God take a risk giving us free will? Absolutely. But the risk was God's. He knew of humanity's sin, as I mentioned earlier. He would have to send his son to come and pay the penalty for that sin. But God did it. Why would God do this for a people that openly disobeyed him, openly ignored his warnings? Once again, the Bible tells us exactly why. The most famous verse of all scripture, John chapter 3, verse 16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Friends, that's the very definition of love. God gave. He was not obligated to. Did not have a responsibility to. He didn't even have an obligation to deliver us out of sin. We made our own bed. He offers this path out of pure love. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. He who does not love does not know God. For God is love. Friends, this describes the very character of God. When you want to discuss the character of God, this simple sentence in all of Scripture sums it all up. This is his character, love. Friends, the enemy of souls wants to convince you that God is unfair, that he's unjust. That was his accusation against him in heaven. As I say, there's a battle raging. Behind the scenes, a master planner, a master deceiver, knows that if he can separate us from God, that this life is all we will have. He can take that from us forever. This war that we're talking about is being played out on earth right now. Revelation chapter 12, verse 12. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you, because he knows that he has a short time. Friends, the devil himself knows his time is short. He has nothing to lose. And he is playing for keeps. I'm going to give you a little peek to a future topic about the fate of Satan. 
He knows his fate. What does he have to lose? The only thing that motivates Satan is to hurt God. And the only way he can hurt God is to separate God from his people. So every soul he separates from God hurts God. That's all he has. So where does Satan's plan lead? Revelation 13, verse 8. All who dwell on the earth will worship him. Remember that worship I've been talking about all night? Whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. All will worship him. Notice the hymn. Small h. That's not Jesus. That's Satan. Those who do not choose to follow Jesus are following Satan. Remember, two choices. That's it. In 1914, the British explorer, Ernest Shackleton, sailed to Antarctica, where he planned to cross the entire continent on foot. He was very close to that southern continent when his ship, the Endurance, struck an iceberg. After being stuck for many months, the ship was destroyed by the ice. Shackleton and his men had to evacuate in lifeboats. They made it to an island that's known as Elephant Island. There he made the decision that he was going to sail across the roughest seas on the planet, the South Georgia Island, to get help. He took five men with him and left 22 behind on that island. He told them, I will be back. I will come back to rescue you. And that they were to wait for him. And be ready whenever he arrived. The men waited one month. Two months. Then three. They thought, surely he must be dead. He's not coming back. After all, he'd sailed across the most treacherous seas in the world. But they waited. They trusted that he'd be back. And when he returned four and a half months later, every man was rescued. They trusted him, and they were safe. They followed his instructions, and they were safe. Friends, I want you to think hard about this. We should trust the God of heaven, the creator of all things. We should trust that his rescue plan is the only plan. The rescue plan, he gives it for us in the book, in the story. The Bible tells us one day Jesus will come back. And those who trust him and follow him will be saved. As I discussed Tuesday night, the Bible can be trusted, amen? So we can believe this message. That the best is still to come. We can be part of that kingdom that never ends. The kingdom of a God who can be trusted, who loves In fact, Jesus spelled out the problem for the masses today in John chapter 5. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. Notice he uses the term willing. He is telling you, you must exercise your free will. Come of your own volition. All we need to do is come to him. Just as you are. How many people fear, oh, I'm not good enough yet? Raise your hand, it's okay. I'm not ready. 
I haven't gotten good enough. I haven't fixed the things in my life yet to come to Jesus. Friends, that's the same accusation Satan levied against God in heaven. He's Now he's trying to convince you that you're not good enough. That you're lost already. Just give up. Friends, that reluctance could cost you everything. Friends, Jesus knocks at the door of your heart tonight, waiting for you to let him in, to live his life through you, in you. You remember the picture I just described? I've described it three nights now, the door. But no doorknob. Jesus is knocking, wanting you to let him in. But you have to open the door. He'll keep you connected to him. He will love you and never let you go. I ask you, friends, can you allow Jesus into your life tonight to bless you with his presence, to lift you up with his love? Please, raise your hand if you can. Amen. Thank you so much. So what does God promise us if we choose Jesus? We stay faithful to him and accept his gift of salvation. The Apostle Peter told us in 2 Peter chapter 3, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. The promise that I started the message with, remember? The question that we had tonight in the question and answer session. But the new heaven, the new earth. God promises to blot out sin. He promises to end rebellion forever. And he promises to remake the world in its original perfect plan. Friends, I promise you, it won't be long and Jesus will return. In this world of sin, a spiritual battle rages. But you can have the peace of heaven and the certainty of salvation through Jesus Christ. You can have that blessed assurance. You can trust that new hope. You can be with Jesus. And you can face all the trials and tribulations that Satan can throw at you. All you have to do is ask him in. It's free. You can't buy it. You can't trade for it. Let me ask you this, friends, tonight. Was the message clear? Do we all understand where sin and suffering started? There was a war in heaven, I promise you. Scripture tells us. Let's close with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Glorious Father, Lord, thank you so much for this beautiful day. Thank you for the gift of life itself. But most of all, Lord, we thank you for the gift of salvation, for the gift of your Son. For without that, we would not have access to salvation. We would not have access to that glorious heaven, that glorious eternal life that you promise and you offer so freely. Lord, I ask you, please, send your Holy Spirit. Touch these hearts and souls. Stir them to search your word, to search your truth. Stir them to come closer to Jesus. Ask Jesus into their heart to renew, revive, and restore their love in you. Lord, I ask you, please, keep everyone safe. Wrap your loving arms around them. Bring them back for more of your truth so that they can become closer to you and be truer and better servants under your kingdom. In Jesus' most precious and holy name I pray, amen.